I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. A 911 call brings authorities to the home of a frantic wife whose husband has just died from an apparent suicide. But a closer look into this woman's life would reveal that bad luck seemed to have a way of following her. This is the Rainella Leith story. Welcome back to all of our listeners and to you, Amy. Hi. Hey. Today's kind of a special day, too, because we have a special guest with us today, don't we? Yeah. Alan's with us. And I mean, with our moving in our houses, I mean, this is the first time the four of us, the four very best friends are back together. Again, yes, right? no, that's true. It's it's great. I mean, it's kind of exciting. We have good stuff going on. We're also back at school now, so we're quite busy, even though we just began the semester, but we still found time to attend this year's True Crime Festival in Dallas. So much fun. It was so great to meet so many of our listeners. It was. And we were able to see some of our, you know, not only listeners and supporters, but some of our good friends, Mm -hmm. people we collaborated with. We did, you know, a special event with LA Not So Confidential, which was wonderful. Love working with them. We're really quite lucky in this regard. And I certainly love finding out projects that our colleagues are working on as well. It inspires us. Kind of like for me, conferences, I think you feel the same, right? They they rejuvenate me. I love conferences. Right. You go to a lot of them. I do. And I know how much it, you know, inspires both of us. Yeah. So we'll keep everyone posted for any events that we might be attending in the future as well. For now, though, I'd like to turn our attention to the Raynella Leith story. 
Rainella was born in an eastern mountain town in Tennessee on October 25th, 1948, but moved with her family shortly after to Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where she attended high school. She also attended East Tennessee State University, where she was studying nursing, and that's where she met Ed Dossett, who was planning on going to law school. The pair fell in love, married in 1969, and had three children together, who they raised outside of Knoxville on Ed's family farm of over 150 acres. That sounds like a dream. Doesn't that? Yes. You know, when we were looking at places, we were just looking at like, an acre, and it how felt many, so sprawling. How many dogs do you think they had? Well, they, they raised cattle. Ed was like a country boy, and so it was a farm. It was like their dream come true. It was really their paradise. Rainella also had a high-level position in nursing, and Ed was elected the county district attorney general. So these two were a power couple uh, by all descriptions. They were very well-respected. They were very supportive of each other. Everyone who commented said that they seemed like they had just such a loving, solid, committed relationship. Let me guess, things aren't always what they seem. Well, in this case, tragically, Ed would be just 43 years old when he received a terminal cancer diagnosis. Oh. I know, right? So, yeah, so, so young. But Amy, it wasn't the cancer that killed him. Rather, he was involved in a fatal farming accident, having been found seemingly trampled by his own cattle one oh. day in July 1992. Do you know about how long that was after his diagnosis? Very quickly. Oh, wow. I believe that he had colon cancer, but it had spread rapidly. So we're talking about, you know, months. So he wasn't so ill that he wasn't able to work anymore. It sounds like he was still out there. No. In fact, he, let me tell you, according to Rainella, even though Ed was, he was very sick at this, he really wanted to feed his cattle that day. And so she helped him get down to the feeding area. It wasn't, it's not exactly like it's right behind your house. Like you let your dog out, but you know, the cattle area is a little bit further. But then she left him there to feed the cattle and to spend time with them. According to her, she went back to the house. And when she returned, she found Ed, who had seemingly been trampled. Was he very fragile at this point? You know, he was fragile. People get yes. ill. Yeah. Yes. He was, yeah. at, you know, at the end of terminal mm -hmm. cancer. So he was. Okay. So while there was a lot of sympathy for Raynella, there was also some suspicion over her story. Everyone knew that Ed was dying at this point. At first, when Ed was diagnosed, he was still healthy. But with some cancer diagnosis, as you probably have witnessed, and as I have, the deterioration could be very rapid. Mm -hmm. So even though he didn't reveal it at first, quickly people did know that he was dying. And they figured that perhaps even if the circumstances or the cattle trampling was a little suspicious and maybe not entirely true, it was probably Ed's wishes because... An accidental death would pay more from a double indemnity clause in his life insurance than if he died from cancer. Quick question. What was his cause of death? They, they called it a fatal farming accident. That was his. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That but they, like, I wonder, did a cattle like smash his trachea or step on his chest? That specifically, I don't know. Okay. But I, I do know that it was designated okay. for fatal farming accident. Okay. And there was evidence that he had been trampled, yes, on his chest. Okay. So likely it was, you know, a blow, mm -hmm. um, some type of trauma okay. to his breathing. Again, a little suspicious here. People also question if Ed was so sick, why would he be out? Shouldn't he be in, at home, in bed? You know, any way you want to look at this, uh, there were others that also thought Ed was the kind of guy who probably wanted Raynella to have more money, so... But what, how do you die? Like, how do you die by suicide in that way? It's not suicide. It's an accident. 
No, I know, but it, it sounds like some people are suggesting that maybe he purposely did something. Right. They are suggesting that. So how would you die? Possibly by taking something. So toxicology here. Hold on to that. Okay. Thought. Okay. I got gotcha. you. There could be some toxicology He could have been incapacitated. Incapacitated and then kind gotcha. of put himself yeah. in that situation. Understand. It was something I was asking myself as well, though. I was like, do you just lay down and, you know... Other people suspected that perhaps Raynella was responsible for getting a weakened, a two-week Ed down there and placing him in that position. Not a lot of people thought that, though, okay. because of the nature of their relationship and because they said also she was a nurse and she was his full-time nurse, and they said she took excellent care of him. Like, it was awesome. So it sounds like she would have known other ways to have him die peacefully. I think so. I think the real insinuation here is that that she was in on this and that they both did it for the greater good of the family and the kids. And so no one was willing to begrudge them the mm -hmm. extra money. Okay. What was surprising, though, Amy, is that Raynella didn't stay single very long. Just six months after Ed's death, she married David Leith, a local barber, someone who occasionally helped with the farm, and a good friend of both Ed and Raynella's. What happened was that David's property kind of bordered theirs, or it was very close. And so he often was out farming on his own property and would help them very neighborly. You mm -hmm. know, this is kind of one of those. So they were having an affair? No, I don't think they were having okay. an affair. No, there was never an insinuation okay. that they were. What I think was almost that it was very practical for Raynella. She had to make a plan for her life and for her she was children. still, she was quite young. Yes, she was quite young. She was about 42 at the time. Gotcha. And I do think that um, she knew David very, who's a very good friend of theirs. I don't believe they were having an affair. Both had children from their previous marriages, as I had already said. And Dave had one daughter named Cindy from a previous marriage. The pair seemed happy together, but the dynamic was very different with Rainella and David. They were not like the same team that Rainella and Ed were. Rather, Rainella was more of the dominant personality and he was a little bit more submissive mm -hmm. it was kind of like Raynella who ran the show and by all accounts she had a very dominant personality but her first husband ed did as well i believe he was very outspoken so let me guess he moved into Raynella's home Yes. Okay. Yes. I think they combined their properties, but she had the bigger home. And while Raynella was happy for some time, reportedly, tragedy again struck just two years later when her 11-year-old young son, Eddie Jr., was killed in a car accident. Oh. Yeah, it's sad, but it's even sadder because unfortunately, it was Raynella's 15-year-old daughter, Maggie, who was driving the car without a license. Oh, jeez. She had a learner's permit. And although Raynella said she was in the car with Maggie at the time of the crash, it appeared that this was not true. She was saying that to help her daughter. Yes, she absolutely was, because other witnesses reported that she wasn't, but she got on the scene real quickly. The daughter was okay, I'm assuming? The daughter was okay. okay. Initially, too, Maggie was charged with a crime. I'm not sure exactly what the charges were. Of course, she was driving illegally, might have been vehicular manslaughter. Mm -hmm. However... The prosecutor would later dismiss these charges, and most speculated this was due to the lasting influence of Raynella and Ed Dossett, her first husband. Mm. So Raynella and Maggie, you know, went on with their lives. Mm. Unfortunately, the son has passed, but no legal price to mm -hmm. her daughter Maggie or to herself. However, not so long after her son was killed, Raynella would find herself in the middle of yet another crime. And this time, she might not walk away so easily. You see, as it turned out, her first husband, Ed, was hiding a pretty big secret. He had been having an affair with his secretary, Kay Walker, for years. Which, 
I was surprised to learn because of just the very nature of how people describe their relationship. So Raynella didn't find this out for years. And it wasn't until after Ed's death that she found out. Um, so after Ed died, and this was 1995, Kay was in the middle of divorce proceedings with her husband, Steve Walker, who then learned that his son was not biologically his, but had been fathered by Ed Dossett. Oh, geez. Right? Okay. So Steve decided to contact Raynella to discuss their situation, believing that they were both victims. They'd be on the same side of the situation, right? They were both wronged by yeah. their spouses. I think, you know, he just wanted information as well. And Raynella, you know, invited him to come to her home, saying that she thought she could actually help him. She said that she had some papers for him regarding his son that she believed would help him in a custody hearing. Because even though he found this out, this was his son, you know, and he was in a custody battle now. And I believe, I'm not sure, but I believe that Kay was kind of leveraging this. Well, he's not even your son. So Raynella is saying, I have something that can help you. Okay. And so I think Steve was very eager to meet with her. And according to Steve, Raynella picked him up at his auto shop on the morning of May 26, 1995, and the two drove out to her farm to discuss the situation. But once at the farm, and much to Steve's shock, Raynella pulled a gun on him, yelling at him that she was going to kill him and take his son and raise his son. What? Right? <laughs> this, is, this is what Steve's reporting. And Raynella took a shot at Steve missing him, which gave Steve time to run. She fired at him again, but he fell, dodging that bullet, and again, Raynella took aim, telling Steve in a very kind of matter-of-fact way that, wow, she used to be a better shot than this. She was on a rifle team in college. (laughs) But still, she's saying this as she's shooting at this man, like, oh, well, I used to be better than this. But by this time, Steve got really lucky because the weapon was out of bullets. And Steve was able to flee the scene unscathed. This is crazy, right? Yeah. Both filed police reports. But Raynella had a very different story, claiming that Steve had shown up on her property acting crazy and attempting to urinate on Ed's grave, which was somewhere on the farm property. Hmm. The police found Steve's version of events to be much more credible, and they charged Raynella with attempted murder. I guess the gunshot, they found bullets. Yeah, the the bullets. Maybe they had eyewitnesses. Her story didn't make sense either, whereas his did. They had phone records, I'm sure. So they found him to be much more credible. She got really lucky, though, Amy, because this, this is attempted. She was charged with attempted murder. You know, we always talk about the severity of charges. She took a plea with reduced charges from attempted murder to assault. So guess what her sentence was? I'm assuming it was non-custodial. That's a good guess. And that would be correct. She got six years of probation, an expunged record to follow. I'm assuming there was a restraining order, at least to keep Steve safe. I'm sure there was a restraining order, but with an expungement, that would mean afterwards there was no record of the conviction in the first place. This is for attempted murder. Yeah, that's surprising. Well, they had ties to law enforcement, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. But I mean, this is one that's a little harder to escape. Do you think the same would be true if she was a man? No, no, not at all. Right. I guess this is one time where gender works in your favor. Yeah, I guess so, right? Um, and maybe she wasn't com- committing necessarily, a, you know, a gender crime per se. She's also, you know, a female, an affluent female with ties to law enforcement. But I mean, I thought I read this. I was like, wow, she yeah. really got some benefit here. Yeah. All right. Meanwhile, Raynella and David continued their lives together. And in 1996, the pair revised their wills, essentially leaving each other everything in the event of either of their deaths, which really kind of cut out their children. 
Okay. Yeah, I know. David had owned some family property, as I said, next to Raynella's, which is why he was often available to help Ed with the farm. But in the event of his death, this would go now exclusively to Raynella with these revisions of the will. Now I see where this is going. <laughs> right. Okay. In 1998, Raynella even got back into politics publicly showing support for a candidate running for district attorney, a position that her first husband, remember, Ed had held. And the candidate won. And, you know, it was speculated that she had a lot to do with that. She was very good at politicking. Shortly before the year 2000, though, Amy, David began seeing neurologists for early onset dementia. And by the year 2000, he had retired his position as a barber. Raynella complained that he had become hateful, and depressed as a result of his condition, noting in her diary that David was mean and controlling and she was just getting sick of it. David saw a doctor uh, regularly for the next two years to assess and monitor his dementia. But on March 13th, 2003, a panicked Raynella called 911 at 11.23 a.m., begging for help to come quickly because her husband had shot himself. <laughs> David had a gunshot wound in his head, forehead above his left eye, which caused his death. But there were two other rounds fired, one which landed in the headboard of his bed, which was where David was found in bed, and a third gunshot which pierced through the mattress. Police were initially suspicious because of these extra shots. And also David's hand was seemingly curled up underneath his body and the gun was not in it or close enough to it. So they asked Rainella to recount the details of the morning. And she told them that she had left David's breakfast on the nightstand for him after they watched some morning television together. And she was on her way out the door when David said he might go to the Y for a morning workout. Rainella says she then went to visit David's elderly and ailing mother, who was in the hospital, and this was around 9.30 a.m., returning home just after 11 a.m. when she claimed to have found David deceased in bed. She also made a stop at her youngest daughter's high school to bring her some medicine, which did not do much to substantiate or dispel her alibi in terms of the time she left or came home, but was part of the mm -hmm. sequence of events. The medical examiner, just the next day after David was declared dead, declared that this was no suicide, rather it was a homicide. And if it was a homicide, then the likely suspect was Raynella Leith. But everyone who worked in the DA's office knew Raynella and her first husband, Ed, so there was a serious reluctance to prosecute her. Before Raynella was ever charged, on March 3rd, 2006, David's daughter, Cindy, Remember her? He mm -hmm. had a child from a previous marriage, filed a civil suit against Raynella, challenging her father's will, leaving the family's property, Raynella. But Cindy was, she did want the family property, but she was looking at the bigger picture. She felt that if she could win, the criminal justice system would have to do something about this. So you can be declared guilty in a civil suit, but what's the difference, Amy, for people who maybe don't know? Well, because you can file you know, a wrongful death suit. In a civil suit... I don't believe it's guilt or innocence, though. It's preponderance of the evidence and well, it's liability. Standard. I think you could be found guilty, but the punishment is not the loss of your liberty. The only punishment you're going to suffer is going to be monetary. I'd just like to point out, 
Like, you know, this was a way that O.J. Simpson or the Goldman's prosecuted O.J. And other people take this route when they can't get justice in the, in, you know, the criminal justice system. However, I don't think people realize how absolutely difficult it is to actually collect you can be very crafty if you're convicted in you know, a civil court about hiding your assets, putting them in other people's names. And as Kim Goldman described on her podcast, they've never been able to collect even a dollar from O.J. Simpson. And they have pushed and pushed and tried, and not because they care about the money, but they wanted him to pay a price. And they were never able to enforce it. So just so people have, a, you know, even if you win in a civil suit, you may never, ever, you know, see anything. You know, recently there was the verdict over the summer, the uh, or before the summer, the Johnny Depp Amber Heard one, in which he was awarded over ten million dollars. But I've already heard her, you know, her representation saying she can't pay that. So. I don't think he needs the money. I don't think he needs the money either. But I don't think that was his point. Oh, I, no, I think he just wanted to be vindicated. There are even if you're awarded or you win in a civil suit, you don't always win. But if you want a guilty verdict or you want the criminal justice system to do something, it makes sense. Um, but in a surprising move, Amy, Rainella filed a countersuit against Cindy, claiming she was the one responsible for her father's death. This was pretty outlandish, and it wasn't taken quite seriously. And while these suits really didn't go anywhere, Amy, Rainella was finally charged with the murder of David Leith. It would require an outside prosecutor, in fact, several, to finally have a grand jury indict Rainella on first-degree murder charges three and a half years after David died on November 28, 2006. And get this, though, Amy, she got bond, okay, for the murder trial. Guess how much her bond was? I love doing the guessing game, even though I know you don't like it, but I'm still going to do it. I mean, I'm going to assume it was light. Well, A couple thousand? 50,000? 50,000, right? Okay. It was $5,000 for murder. Which is a joke for her because she is well off, right? Well, I've never heard of murder. You're either held or the bond is set ridiculously high. I've never heard of $5,000. And I'm not even saying that I disagree because this is still alleged. But if we're going to talk about uniformity or fairness in the system, I'm going to bet that most people charged with murder in her state are not given $5,000 bond. And I've never heard of this much for a murder charge before. Rainella was initially charged with David Lee's murder, but interestingly, the medical examiner also decided to take a look at Ed Dossett's death, her first husband. And in a bombshell announcement, the Emmy said that it was in fact a morphine overdose that killed Ed and not the cattle trampling. Okay, but he could have done that to himself. Absolutely could have done that to himself. I'm not saying she didn't do it. I'm just saying he could have. No, but you had asked, and I thought that was a good question. Like, how did the cattle trampling kill him? Well, it killed him because he was so heavily intoxicated with morphine. Mm -hmm. It seemed that the original Emmy declared Ed's death prior to receiving those toxicology results. Can you believe that? That's surprising. Do they always do toxicology? When it's suspicious. Yeah. Because that was considered suspicious. That was suspicious, right. So no, not always. But the tox result clearly showed lethal amounts of morphine, uh, saying, quote, it is unlikely that any human could function in an ambulatory manner or continue to live with those amounts of morphine. I am happy to hear that in the sense that he did not suffer, because it sounds like there would be quite a painful death. Yes, of course. Uh, But these results came in. It was never added to the report. It was just forgotten about or left out. Conveniently. Very conveniently. But so what does this mean for Rainella? Well, now she's charged with the murders of both of our husbands, earning her the reputation as a black widow. Uh-huh. And in 2009, Rainella went to trial for David Leith's murder, held in Knox County, where she was from. So there's no change of venue. 
which I thought was that, surprising. Surprising. A lot of publicity in this case. Mm-hmm. So what happened? Well, it was a circumstantial case and a hard one. The jury could not reach an agreement on a verdict, ending in a hung jury and a mistrial. But the vote was close. Go ahead. What was the main evidence against her? It relates mostly to the firearms, the shots that were fired. And then also, I'm going to go through it, her story and how some aspects of her story didn't quite make sense and bloodstain analysis. Okay. And I'll talk about that as I, there's a reason why I'm holding off on it. But okay, so let me just tell you, though, it was 11 to 1 in favor of guilt. So there was one holdout that saved her. So it sounds like a case that the prosecution is going to try to retry. Yeah. And those aren't good odds for her. I mean, I'm surprised about that because in that case, if it was me, I might opt for a bench trial, right? We Mm -hmm. know a bench trial can be tried in front of a judge. Mm -hmm. If you know that 11 people were going to vote you guilty, unless you have a dramatically different strategy... I'd go for the bench trial. Yep. But she didn't, and she was tried a second time for the murder of David Leaf, and the outcome would be very different this time. She was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. And since she got life for this crime, the prosecutors decided not to pursue the murder charge of her first husband. But why might this be a mistake, Amy? Well, because... Judging by the look on your face, I might be right here. It could get overturned. The conviction can get overturned on appeal. That's correct. So, and not only that, it's not justice for the rest, you know, the victim's family and closure and... Correct. They just assume because, you know, they kind of slammed the book on it. Why go for it? But yeah, if if the conviction's overturned on appeal... Now, granted, they could prosecute her later, but, you know, that assumption... You know, yeah. I, I wouldn't have worked on that one. And in this case, I definitely wouldn't have bet on this because an appeal is exactly what she got. And she not only got an appeal, she won her appeal. On the grounds of what? After six years in prison, just so you know. Oh, wow. Wait till you hear. And this was one of the reasons I even came across this case. Renella's appeal is connected to one of our other cases that we covered. The Shannon Christian and Christopher Newsom case. Mm-hmm. I know. Every time we say it, we both. Yeah. I know. Um, but do you remember that the judge presiding over one of their cases had a serious drug problem? He was using narcotics quite seriously. He was addicted oh, to oxycodone. Oh, it was the same judge in this case. Correct. So all of his cases got reexamined? You know, it was interesting because if you recall, one of the defendants in the, the Newsom and Christian case had appealed his sentence as well, but that appeal did not win. So I'm sure, I would bet that almost everyone appealed, but whether or not they won just depends on on the discretion of the appellate judges. But in this case, her appeal was granted based on the judge's drug use, and whoa, what a game changer this would be. In May 2017, the third trial against 68-year-old Raynella Leith began. And in this case, the prosecution would focus a lot on the firearm and the order of the shots fired. They used experts to try and show that the first bullet hit the headboard, the second hit Mr. Leaf in his head, and the third went through the mattress. Do you know why the ordering is important? Yes, because if he shot himself, there could not be a third. That's exactly right. If he was struck in the head by the second bullet and killed, he could not have fired that fired that third shot. That would have to be someone else, according to the medical examiner, because Leaf would have been, as the Emmy described, incapacitated immediately by the shot to his head. 
And you can tell the order of the shots fired because the Colt revolver had a clockwise rotation of the cylinder that mm. showed a pretty clear order of the bullets fired. So that was kind of interesting yeah. because this is, you know, you would ask about I mean, the evidence. it's as objective as it comes, right? It's pretty objective, I think. In the revolver, you can tell the sequence of bullets okay. by the, you know, the grooves that are made on each, uh, you know, on the wheel. So you, yep. can, so you can tell. It's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And that's not the only evidence, though. The prosecution... They called David's daughter, Cindy, to the stand, who testified that Raynella had called her at work that morning, her father died, to ask if she had seen her father. And, you know, the prosecution said this was probably an attempt to show that she wasn't at home during this time. But the phone call would kind of backfire because Raynella called her just 20 minutes after she left the home in which she had said, like, you know, David said, I'm going to go to the Y later. So... There was no reason to be worried about David. I know this isn't a smoking gun per se, but it doesn't make sense. And Cindy said, furthermore, Raynella never called me at work. So 20 minutes after she left the home, she wanted to know if she'd seen her husband. It was odd. Mm -hmm. Raynella also mentioned to Cindy that she was worried because David had not finished his breakfast. But how would she know that as she originally claimed she left breakfast for him on the nightstand and left before he ate it? All right. So again, these are circumstantial pieces, but when you put the pieces of the puzzle together, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't look good. I'm not saying, again, this is the most damning evidence. The prosecution presented toxicology reports showing David had both prescribed and unprescribed drugs in his system. Hmm. So there was some argument did he take these on his own? Did she give them? I wouldn't say this is the strongest evidence in the case, but I would say that the state also focused on blood spatter which they say showed that David's head was in a different position that it should have been had Raynella found him on the bed the way that she said she did and if he had shot himself. Blood spatter is also somewhat subjective. Just so you know, it's not the most definitive science. It can be. But I think the stronger evidence was as it pertained to the food tray Raynella left for her husband on the nightstand because there was blood spatter on the nightstand and on everything on it except the items on the food tray. There was even blood spatter underneath the tray. So it looked like the tray Jeez. wasn't there when he was killed, but she placed it on the table. That's a big point. Uh, yeah, I think that one was a good one. The defense, however, disputed this and used their own experts to show that multiple shot suicides are possible, and they are. And even if the prosecution's ordering if the bullets are correct, it still could have been at the hand of David Leith, and that there could have been what's known as a jerk reaction after he he shot himself. Okay. That happens too. Mm-hmm. They claim that the Emmy ruled way too quickly as well without any tox results or medical results from his treating physician. And they showed that David was feeling pretty badly about his condition. He was upset. You know, he was depressed. And and he had, what they were trying to show is that Raynella wasn't the only possible person who could have caused his death. David was also um, a possibility here. I'm assuming you would have said this, but did they look at gunshot residue if he was shot with his left hand versus his right hand? And Yeah, then and they found prints. Okay. They found his prints on the hand where okay. it looked like, and they did not find residue on her. So, But, you know, you can also wash residue off. But yeah. I'm saying they found residue on they him did. and his fingerprints on yeah, the gun. Okay. Yeah, they did. Um, so what would the jury conclude this time? Well, Amy, they didn't have the opportunity to make any conclusion because there was another shocker coming in this case. Before the jurors could deliberate, the defense made a very common motion to dismiss the case for lack of evidence. Mm -hmm. You've heard this. It doesn't usually go anywhere. No, it's a very common tactic, one that is usually 
pro forma and is usually dismissed by the presiding judge mm-hmm. in criminal trials. But it's almost like, why not try? There's no harm. Exactly. No harm, no foul. Nobody expected that it would work, but that's exactly what happened here. The judge yes. dismissed. The judge granted the motion, saying that the state did not make their case, and the judge acquitted Raynella Leith of murder right there on the spot. Wow. Game That's changer, shocking. right? It is. Everyone was shocked and the jurors were appalled. How could this happen? The presiding judge spoke out. And by the way, because he acquitted her, that means double jeopardy is attached, which yeah. means she can never be tried again. But she, she could done. be tried for her first husband. That is correct. Yeah. And she did serve six years um, in prison. So... I think every, she was as shocked it looked like as everyone else. The presiding judge, Judge Summers, spoke to the media and in an interview with Aaron Moriarty, said that he decided to end this case when he realized the evidence was legally insufficient and he did not think the prosecution made the case that Reynella was the perpetrator of the crime. He stated, further, he believed David's death could definitely be the result of a homicide, but that it was just as likely that it was a homicide committed by someone else and that there wasn't enough evidence to establish that Raynella was the one who killed David. Did the defense ever go down the path of this could have been someone else? Did they check for it? Was it a, they were breaking? Was the door unlocked? Like, where does this come from? You, no, they, they really focused on, I mean, I'm not saying that they didn't at some point, but from everything I gleaned, they really focused on David as, as, you know, being the possibly the other suspect. They did not really point to anyone else. It seemed obvious. I mean, there wasn't any motive for mm-hmm. anyone else either. Yeah. But but so what the judge was seeing, that's kind of surprising. How was the judge seeing this motive that no one else is, yeah, there's nothing taken. Nobody had a grudge against him. There's no sexual assault. There's no- Any relationship with the judge and Raynella or any of Raynella's associates? Yeah, I was looking into that too. I didn't see that. However, you can argue that she had a relationship with kind of everyone, the bench or mm-hmm. just, you know, the general institution. I, this was, again, just like a bombshell. So I'd like to talk about a couple of things because this, this is the end of the story, kind of. But one of the reasons I chose it is because because of the judge's decisions uh, or the judicial decision. And I really want to talk about that. So first, let's start with theory. Rainella may or may not have been involved in her first husband's death. I think that, I think he, she probably staged it with him. I think, she, you know, she was involved, but I don't think she murdered him. We don't know enough. She possibly could have. I don't think so, though. The assault on Steve Walker was premeditated, it seems. You know, this time Rainella was concerned possibly about two things. The speculation was maybe she was concerned about the reputation of her mm-hmm. husband. However, she was very, this was really soon after the loss of her son. And some people thought that, you know, she was yelling at him, I'm going to take your son. So maybe in her irrational kind of thinking at the time, she saw this as a chance to have her a son back because it was Ed's son. Mm-hmm. So she thought, well, if Steve's out of the way, maybe she even thought if Kay's out of the way, this will be my son. I- I'm not sure that that's what she was thinking. This is definitely speculation. However, regardless, this is the result of rational choice planning, even if it wasn't rational. If you ask me, you know, she saw eliminating Steve as, you know, the object to possibly getting Ed's biological son. 
You might say that strain theory plays a role here because one of the major stressors that causes criminal behavior is the loss of something you love, and she lost her son. And also found out that her husband was cheating on her. Right. So this is complete strain theory. But even with these stressors, her reaction was to go ahead and Mm -hmm. plan to try to murder this person, which she clearly did. Why would she not go after the wife? That surprised me as well. I I really don't know. And I don't know if that was even in the plans or if because he was the one who contacted Mm -hmm. her. I'm not sure what the reason is, but it's a good question. You have the death now of David Leith. Now, I don't know that there isn't reasonable doubt here, but... If I had to guess motive, I think she saw her husband as an obstacle that she'd have to take care of. And I think she killed him and tried to make it like a suicide. I think, again, this is kind of the product of, you know, maybe not total rational, but her rational choice, making decisions, planning his death, taking over the property. Did they have a contentious relationship as far as we know? Apparently, when he did start showing some symptoms of dementia, you know, he, he was, I, I don't know if I would call it contentious, but he was getting crankier. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I think that there started to be some friction mm-hmm. that I think she viewed as a nuisance. I wonder if she also, this is speculation, but she had taken care of a dying husband once before, and that was kind of the love of her life. I wonder if she didn't want to go through this again. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the best I could say. Looking at Rainella, also, she wasn't punished or charged with Ed's death. I just want you to think about this. Her daughter got away with a crime that she helped. Mm -hmm. And she was barely punished for an attempted murder. And so if you look at these behaviors over time and the consequence or lack thereof, what do you see? Differential reinforcement. I wouldn't be surprised if she finds herself in another situation where somebody's mysteriously dead. Do you know I was thinking the same thing? And differential reinforcement, I was thinking this woman seems to be able to get away with things over and over again. She's pretty much being told that she can keep doing, assuming, no, assuming she did these things. Assuming she did it, which we don't know. Assuming she did something or knew something, then... She's being sent the message that she'll keep getting away with it. I think there's a message there. Um, I also think that we have to look at chivalry of the system as it pertains to people didn't want to punish a demure, um, respectable, affluent female. I think she received all the benefit of the doubt because of her status. I also think that if she is innocent, she has some really shitty luck. Well, that's why in my opener, I said, bad luck has a way of following this woman because if she's innocent, you're right. This is some very bad luck. I don't think I know enough to say about David, but I can tell you I found Steve Walker very credible and I totally believe she attempted to murder him. Mm -hmm. So she is at least guilty of one crime. And that also shows that she has violent tendencies. Absolutely. And it's interesting because she wasn't, you know, she was in her, I think at that point, maybe her late 40s. Mm. But, you know, we're not talking about aging out of crime here. No. This is. Well, that also, it also makes me think this wasn't her first crime. Exactly. And as you said, I'm not sure it'll be her last. Yeah. I wouldn't get involved with her. That's no. what I'm saying. No, no, no. The ultimate question here, though, for me, and the reason I, I chose this case was whether or not the criminal justice system get it right. And I don't mean necessarily as it pertains to guilt and innocence. What I mean is that third trial judge exercised his right to dismiss the case. The question here is, should he have done so? When we talk about judicial discretion, does he see because he knows the evidence and does he see possible jury nullification happening? Or is he taking advantage of his power? He's not taking advantage. He's within his right to do so. He was within his rights. And do we like that? No, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, to me, by allowing judges to do that, it negates trial by jury. 
Which it does. It negates your It literally right. does, right? It literally does. So it, it almost seems contradictory. So here's the problem. If he did it because he really believed the evidence is legally insufficient to make a case against Rainella, then I would be more supportive. But I don't think that it was insufficient. And I also think, to be perfectly frank, that he had a sense that the jurors were going to convict her. Because several jurors spoke out later, indicating that their intention was to find Rainella guilty. So he must just truly believe that she's innocent or there's something we don't know, right? Because this was in the same, they didn't do a change of venue for this trial either. No, they didn't, no. Regardless, the the jury was, they were really angry. You know, they you spend a lot of time and a lot of energy and it's very emotionally taxing to sit on a jury. And she could have opted for a bench trial. She could have. So instead, the juror went through the whole process. They were going to find her guilty, most likely, and a judge stepped in and said, no, no, I, I'm not going to allow this to happen. Do you know if he had a history of doing that? No, he didn't. No. And and Aaron Moriarty kind of pressed him on the show. is like, did you just want to stop this case? And he was like, yeah, pretty much. And so I exercised my right to do so. I don't think he was hiding behind anything. So except interesting. It, It's interesting to me because I, I just don't know if he made the decision for the right reason. If it was for the right reason, then I could support it and get behind it. But I'm not sure. But I like the conversation. And for now, Raynella Leith is a free woman. She has not been charged with any activity in Ed Dossett's death. Single and looking to mingle? I mean, that's what I was thinking, right? I don't know what her, her current status is, but, you know, I hope that we don't see her again in the courts, Amy. Actually, I hope that she was, in fact, innocent, because then we can say justice has been served here. Uh, that's absolutely true, and I hope so, and she's in her 70s now, yeah. so I also okay. hope that no matter what, she's aged out of crime. Wow, lots of twists and turns. Yeah, this I didn't know where you were going with this one. I, I didn't know where really I was, good. I didn't know where I was going with it either, but really interesting. All right. You know, if you want to discuss this conversation with us, if you have opinions about judicial discretion and, and on this case or others, feel free to reach out to us. We look forward to discussing this case and others. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at womenincrimepodcast.com. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. And we'll see you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is written and hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash womenincrime. Sources for today's episode include CBS News, an episode of 48 Hours, Knox News, New York Times, Fine Law, and an episode of Snapped. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.